Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for allowing us to come together again and learn more about your word and study these things and look at the Ten Commandments. We pray, Lord, as we look at and understand what discipleship is, that you would um, allow us to see this new thing that you're causing us to participate in and the wonderful work that you're doing in the world. And it's in your son's name we ask. Amen. So today is week one of the new quarter. Uh, We've been going over the doctrines of redemption the last quarter as we were going through the Apostles' Creed, and we finished that up uh, two weeks ago. And this week, we're starting a new quarter on the Ten Commandments, and that'll be going on for the next, this this month and next month, and we'll be looking at the discipleship of the redeemed. So we, we looked at the first quarter, the drama of redemption, and then we looked at the doctrines of redemption, and now how, how does all those things come together and form our discipleship? Um, how, how does that actually form the way we live in the world and how we re- live in response to what God has done for us in Christ? Um, so today, we're just going to go over a simple introduction um, looking at three different things, like what is discipleship, just kind of like framing the discussion and framing the conversation of like what it is actually we're doing as followers of Christ. And then how does discipleship change our relationships to God and each other, which is what the Ten Commandments are about. The first half of it is about how we relate to God, and the second half is how we relate to others. So how does discipleship and being the redeemed change our relationships? And then third, why the Ten Commandments? Um, So we're just going to briefly go over those today and look at why the Ten Commandments are still so vital for our discipleship and living for Jesus today. Um, So that's just basically a rough outline of what we'll talk about today. Um, So first, what is discipleship? Um, We're not going to spend too much time looking at like maybe the historical aspects of the Ten Commandments since we kind of went over that in the first quarter, but really want to dig into how does this change our vision and our way of life, our discipleship in the present. And that's what we're really going to try to focus on. Um, so when we look at Scripture, we, we see that we're located and we're living in this really awkward time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. So last week we ended up the discussion talking about how Christ, or two weeks, two weeks ago, how Christ is going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead as we finish the Apostles' Creed. But right now we're living in this weird period where it might be hard to know what to do and what we're here for. Um, that what do we do in the meantime as we wait for Christ to come back and and consummate or fulfill his kingdom on earth and to come back in glory. Um, And there are several different responses that a lot of people have. I think the first one is that Christians can feel really triumphalistic. And we can feel like, like, you know, we're going to transform the world into this kingdom of Christ using all our resources, using all our efforts to make this world a better place that this is the work we're going to do and we're going to usher in the kingdom. You know, so like 
that's one response, is that we think in this kind of triumphalistic kind of way. Um, the second way that a lot of people think about it is very much in terms of defeat. Like there's like that defeatist kind of attitude that people have that we're just here to save souls from this late great planet Earth, you know, and that the world is a sinking ship, so why are you going to, you know, polish the brass on it and try to make it a better place? Um, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, so why should we care? And I think it's really easy to land in either of those two things, being really triumphalistic or being defeatist. Uh, but the Bible actually has a very different outline of way of looking at discipleship, and that's this tough place of being witnesses, this tough place of, of actually just participating in what God is doing. Um, we recognize how bad things are, but then also see what God is doing and how he's calling us to be witnesses to what he's done and witnesses to what he's doing. So I think that's like a very different way of thinking that. We are witnessing to Christ, his work for us. We suffer for that witness. And then we love and serve our neighbors as part of our witness to Christ in all of our callings. Um, and that's a, that's a really hard place to live in because we want to like jump the gun and, and you know, be like the disciples and call fire down on God's enemies on the one hand. Or we're just like doubting Thomas and running away and like, oh no, it's at the end of the world, you know. So like both of those things that we see in the disciples, we, we kind of have that tension in us. But Jesus calls us to participate in what he is doing and witness to what he is doing as his disciples. Um, we are participating in this marvelous thing that Jesus says after the resurrection. He's like, I no longer call you servants but I call you friends. We are, we're learning to be disciples specifically as God's friends in this world. We have this kind of new sacred friendship with God and each other that the Ten Commandments are outlining for us how we re- relate to God and to each other seeing a sacred kind of friendship that God is building. Um, so, what, are we, what we're doing here in the meantime as we wait for Jesus to come back is discipleship. It's participating in what God is doing as he's showing the world his love in and through Christ and in and through us. And we're now a part of that. We're now a part of that great exchange of love where God is given us his love and then he sheds that love in our hearts and then we give that love to our neighbors. So like that is, that's really the heartbeat of what discipleship is. And, um, and one of the ways that we see that is through the Old Testament um, had two different kinds of sacrifices. Uh, two different kinds of sacrifices. We saw that there were the sacrifice of thanksgiving and, and praise and sacrifices of guilt or atonement.
We see that all throughout the Bible. Um, This first one is natural to us. That's like what we're constantly called to be be and to do. that, That the essence of sin, according to Romans 1, is ingratitude. That that man, in rebellion against God, was no longer offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving, but he was ungrateful. And that brought that sin between us and God and guilt. And so God had to bring into the, into the world those sacrifices of, of guilt, sacrifice for guilt and atonement, to, to mend that relationship that we had. Um, and yet the good news that we, we, we're constantly going over and thinking about is that God himself it had prov- has provided that sacrifice. All the Old Testament was picturing in these many different ways how God was dealing with the guilt and atonement that we needed. Getting rid of the guilt with the sacrifice of atonement. Um, so now God has dealt with that and he's brought us back into the category of being able to live grateful lives of thanksgiving and praise. We no longer exist in this world as people who are in debt. Does that make sense? We no longer live in this world as people who owe God something as the basis of our relationship in terms of that guilt offering and that sacrifice. But we live in a grace economy. We live in terms of like grace with God and with each other. And because God has dealt with this, all that is left for us to do is we are free once more to be thankful, to offer ourselves, as Paul says, and he says in Romans 12, as living sacrifices of praise. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, like he dealt with this, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is already holy and pleasing to God, which is your true and proper worship. So discipleship begins us on the receiving end of everything. Um, We're not building the kingdom. We're receiving one. We're not appeasing God. We're receiving a gift of His righteousness in His Son and then are called to participate in what He is coming to do and He's going to do and He's promised to do. Um, So, we begin as passive receivers of God's gift of salvation and His grace. The great redemption that we talked about. And through that, we're made active worshipers who give our lives in a life of thanksgiving and and praise, which is primarily seen in how we love and serve our neighbors. So God has brought us on this new exodus out of sin and death and hell and decay in order that we can go worship Him properly with our callings, with our very bodies. So, that is, that is the, the motion as disciples that we have to begin with. When we, want to be, when we think about like discipleship, it's like, okay, what do I have to do? Give me a list of things to do and to don't do. But first, even how the whole Ten Commandments begin, as we will see, 
It begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It begins with his redemption. It begins with, I am. I have done this for you. And then therefore, this is your grateful response. Does that make sense? So it's just like a very different, we have to understand discipleship first and foremost in this terms of like gratitude and thanksgiving. And so the Christian life is constantly rehearsing these three important words that begin with the letter G. Our guilt before God, the grace that we have in Christ, and gratitude. How our lives are living in response to that grace. And so the whole Christian life is constantly rehearsing those things, how we've been moved out of guilt by God's grace, and then how we live in grateful response to that sacrifice of thanksgiving that God has now called us to. Um, we, this is, this is a crucial order that if we mess up, we get Christianity wrong. That we don't, offer to God our good works as if he should repay us, as Paul says in Romans 11. He said, who are we to offer our good works to God as if, he, as if we could put him in our debt? Um, no, all the good gifts come down from God to us and then through us, in our gratitude, in our love for each other, God is serving our neighbors with what everyone needs in their daily lives. And, and so that, that, that movement is that God gives us his grace and then we start participating in that love that he's bringing into the world and our good works go out to our neighbors and those who are in need out of gratitude. Um, our good works have nowhere else to go but out because we're no longer having to worry about trying to appease God. Try, we're, no, there's no longer that psychological guilt of trying to constantly having to overcome the estrangement we have with God. But God has overcome that by his grace. And so that then it fills us with thanksgiving so we can actually live as we were meant to live. Um, and so this means like that, that people around us are no longer burdens. They're no longer people who are threats to our happiness. They're no longer competing in this world with us. But the gospel totally tra- changes our relationship to God and to each other that our well-being, having already been determined in Christ, that we've been given an identity in Him that's unshakable, it means that our relationships with everyone else is also transformed. We no longer see people as barriers to our happiness and our joy because we've been given that in Christ. They're no longer people to be feared. Those, those other people out there who are so different from us, who we think that if they, were, if they weren't around, we'd be so much happier. Um, no, no longer that is the case. We long, no longer see them that way, but through the gospel, we see 
them as people in need of God's good gifts. Like God has given us His grace and His love for the very purpose of then giving them out to everyone around us. And so everyone is our neighbor. Everyone is now the person that God has put in front of us to serve. Because then they are actually the people that God is loving through us. We need them and they need us. And the, the discipleship that God is calling to us to, that, that gratitude is receiving those good gifts and then bringing them out to others around us. Does that make sense? Any, any questions or thoughts? So it's, it's important to think of discipleship first as that, that we're first receivers, we're first receiving that and learning to witness to what God has done and he's doing and participating in that very thing that he's doing in the world. And that's really essential to our understanding of what discipleship is and what we're doing as we wait for Christ to return. That we should be loving and serving our neighbors and supplying everything that they need according to the gifts that God has given to us. And we, when, when Jesus comes back, the thing that he wants us to be doing, that, like, that he catches us in the middle of, is loving and serving our neighbors and those around us in bringing out living sacrifices of praise and gratitude towards those that are in front of us. Um, and so the, the gospel frees us for the first time to serve others, to love and serve others in this, in this really radical way. Um, and I think that, that missing that dynamic and missing that order of guilt, grace, and gratitude, of receiving first and then going out and giving our good works to our neighbor, if we don't get that order right, I think that's what makes the Christian life more difficult than it needs to be. What do I mean by that? Um, I think one of the, the, the biggest struggles and the hurdles of the Christian life is when we haven't been freed to go out and serve God and love our neighbor in this way. When we're, when we're constantly caught up in wondering how our relationship to God is doing. Um, when we're unwilling to be freed from our visions of happiness. When we're, when we're caught up in our own dreams and hopes and aspirations and our obsessions um, and we're unwilling to be freed from those things as the basis of our identity, we're trying to like, okay, I, okay God, I'll, I'll love and serve you this, but I'm going to hold on to this one thing. That creates so much peril in, in our lives and heartache because we, you know, like we try to give 99% of ourselves to God and hold on to that one thing, and it can't happen. Like that, that's just like the recipe for how we go through so much heartache and sorrow. Um, we're holding on to that 1% of that vision of what we want, that dream with a death grip, and we don't realize that the best thing that we can do is be freed from those things by the gospel. And the reason God wants us to be freed from those things is because 
we're getting so caught up and we're half-hearted creatures, as C.S. Lewis says, who are just getting caught up in this small mud pie, you know, like where God wants us to have a holiday at the sea and just be, he wants to give us so much more, but we are just so obsessed with that one thing that we don't realize God wants to give us even more happiness and joy. And that is what the process of discipleship is. It's like slowly learning to let, our, let go of those things, to let go of those small things and to be freed up by God's grace to have him have God give us an identity, to have God give us the true vision of what it means to be happy, to have God free us to give ourselves away. Um, everyone is seeking to be happy, but hardly anyone is actually willing to do what's necessary to be actually happy, which is, Oddly enough, um, what the Ten Commandments actually offer, they actually offer us the way that we were made to live, the way that we were made to go to be actually happy. And we'll, we'll unpack that as more as we kind of go along. Um, but to begin with, discipleship, true joy in this life is only going to come through God and through others. And so the Ten Commandments start breaking up our conceptions of what, of how we relate, how we start relating to everyone around us and saying, no, this is how God wants us to relate to him and how we relate to others. Why? Because that's how we were made and because that's actually what leads to true joy. Um, And so the Ten Commandments are this kind of forgotten blueprint and wisdom for life that are the shape of our discipleship. They are the, the guidelines, more than guidelines, for how we relate to God and each other. Any thoughts or questions? That's kind of a lot to kind of digest, but any comments or questions at all? All right, so the Ten Commandments are this, this kind of wisdom that we need. They're the, the plain man's guide to ethics, as it were. They're, the, they're, they're our guide in this life to how God wants our gratitude to look. Um, you know, because we, we hear the word law, you know, the Ten Commandments are God's law, we kind of assume that it's just kind of like this formal code of, of do's and don'ts you know, restricting our personal freedom, you know, just for the sake of like public order so that people can drive on the, on the highway correctly or something. So we, we just have like a, we instantly, when we think of the law, when we think of commandments, we have this very negative view of it. Um, but the kind of, that kind of understanding of what, is, is, what it is is actually very wrong because the, the Ten Commandments, Torah, which is the word for law, is actually much more like parental guidance and teaching of a good father. Um, They're the kind of instruction a good parent gives their children so that they don't make a mess of their lives and they don't run out into the streets on oncoming traffic. Um, We think law, you know, is just like arbitrary. 
It's just like this dictator imposing stuff on us, and he's trying to spoil our fun. You know, and we're no longer, it's just this legalism, and it's just so hampering. Uh, you know, just throwing a wrench in our good time. Um, YOLO, you only, you only live once, so why am I going to follow this, this crazy Ten Commandments? Um, but really, when, when the God talks about the law in the Bible, he's giving it because it's good, not arbitrarily. Um, he's not commanding it, and therefore that's why he demands it. It's, you know, he's, he's good, and he's holy. He's giving it because this is what actually leads to holiness and to freedom and the things that we were made to do. Um, so it shows us how we are to go as God's giving us, his, as, his, as a parent, he's giving us this, this document of his love for us, of how we are to relate to each other and treat each other as sacred, and how we re- tra- treat him as sacred. And it's kind of like a car running on gasoline. Uh, we were made, the car was made to run on that gasoline. In the same way, we were made to go out and live in a certain way. So when we don't put gasoline in our car, it just like, I'm sure if, you, if you've heard, if you accidentally put diesel, you know, in your car, it, it wasn't made for that. It has to have a specific engine for that. And it'll just like ruin the engine. Um, in the sa- same kind of way is that we just start breaking down our, our, our society and even our person when those things aren't followed. Um, and so God is, is, is making, he's giving us this law um, which Jesus summed up with two things. Uh, who can tell me what, how Jesus sum, summarized the law in the New Testament? Yeah, and you remember the twofold thing that he said um, as, as what the greatest commandments were when somebody asked him? Yes, exactly. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. Good job, great. Yeah, and he was taking that from Moses himself. Moses said those very things in Deuteronomy 6.5 and then in Leviticus 19.18. Um, so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's not undoing the law. He's not undoing the Ten Commandments and saying that you shouldn't follow those things anymore because now we have love. No, he's saying that the essence of fulfilling the law is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Spell that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh man. So I, I think I think we can we have to say so much over and over again that when we hear the law, our immediate reaction is to think that's just like old. Uh, even as Christian, that's Old Testament stuff. Or as modern Americans, that that's just like barbaric. You know, like who would want to even follow those things? But if we look at our society, how, how there's so much lawlessness and unjust, and unjust laws that allow people to treat each other 
in all kinds of violent, exploitive, cutthroat kind of ways, the Ten Commandments stand like head and shoulders above even many of the laws of our land. Um, that these laws that Jesus is, 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 is kind of declaring as the essence of how we relate to God and to each other are the foundations of how we just live as human beings and it's essential to who we are. Um, it's revealing the specific kind of relationship of who, how we relate to God and to each other. So, we think that, that that is what discipleship is. Like that, the discipleship is really understanding how we participate in God's love and how He's made things right by His love and then how we then show love to our neighbors. We're receiving that on the first end and then we're learning to how to be sacrifices of thanksgiving as, as we bring that love to our neighbor. Um, and so that, that love then, that discipleship that God is shaping us into has changed our relationships first to God and then to each other and how we relate to each other. Um, we read that in Exodus 20, right before the Ten Commandments are given, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me. So it's important to remember, as we constantly were saying, that this is given after God redeemed his people. This is like how, he's like, I redeemed you, I've made you my own people, and I've changed you, your relationship from slavery in this world to now as free people. And so this is how you need to live as free people. Like the constant struggle of Israel in the Old Testament, as you, if you look back at the Old Testament, Israel is just constantly looking back to Egypt and saying like, oh, I just wish I had all that good stuff from Egypt. Like the constant mindset of the, of the person who's addicted to this certain way of life is to want to go back like Golem into the shadows and, and grab the precious. You know what I mean? Grab their ring. And... Israel is constantly saying, you're like, you know, oh man, this is so hard being in charge of ourselves and being free and, and we want to constantly go back to sin. And God's like, no, this, this is actually much better. That's destructive. That way you think is, free, is, is freedom and pleasure is actually destruction. And this is actually how free people need to live. Um, so God is changing his relationship first to him, himself, and, and to us, and then with each other. Um, this, the Ten Commandments are really this sacred relationship of how God first gives us himself in, in redeeming us and making us, I am the Lord, your God. God is giving himself to his people and making them... Th- himself their God and Father. That's amazing. And then he says, as a response, this is how you give yourself to me. Um, this is how you respond and giving yourself away. Um, and so it's not this like, the Ten Commandments don't come to us as this just like this massive formal code legal document that just like slams onto the table and it's like 
you have no relationship to that. Like, that doesn't make sense. Who cares about that? Um, and that's kind of how often we, we kind of feel about the Bible and the, New, and, 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 and the Ten Commandments. They're just like, it's this dry, stale document, and I'm just going to let it catch dust in my room. And it's like, how does it even relate to me? But no, like, Jesus comes in, and, and the Lord comes in, and he's saying, my relationship to you is, is this real, personal, intimate relationship that I'm your God and you are my people. And out of that, I'm giving you this, these Ten Commandments. Does that make sense? Does that, does that help? Um, I think that like framing it, discipleship in this way is really important because it's, it's so easy to just kind of not take it seriously and just be apathetic. I know it's easy for me. Just like, okay, yeah, God said that. That's, that's great. Um, it's just so easy to do that. But we don't relate to God, and he doesn't relate to us like we relate to our car or we relate to uh, computers or impersonal things like an it. We don't say, like, I am this, and I, that is it. It's like, no, it's I and you. Like, could you imagine if you called one of your parents, hey, it, like, why don't you get, you know, like, we started talking to it like it was an impersonal thing. Um, Obviously, everyone would be offended by that. You're like, like, no, I'm a person. I'm a real person. And that is how God is addressing us. He's giving us his, our dignity back. He's giving us freedom and, and dignity by giving us these commands. Um, and he's not treating us like slaves. He's not treating us like sin does. Um... He's, but he, what he is saying, though, but what he is saying through this, through this relationship of giving, is that you and I can only find ourselves, that we can only find what it means to be human by giving ourselves away. That at the end of the day, you know, like, we, we kind of have, have that, that line that people make fun of is like, you don't know me, you don't know nothing. You know, like, you know, like that, that constant line, refrain that like, nobody understands me. Nobody treats me like a person. Nobody cares about me. Um, and how easily we kind of like go into that mode and, and, and we just kind of like cry out and just like think that nobody really gets me. At the end of the day, nobody understands me. Um, and I think that that's kind of like, it kind of even gets at what we're talking about, that you know, most people don't even know who they are. Um, but, but what God is saying, what God is saying here is that, that we have to come to an end of those things, those expectations of those people around us and even of ourselves and follow what he's saying. And that's actually how we find ourselves. That's actually how we find our true identity, how we find true joy, even in this fallen world full of decay and sin and all kinds of things, that we first have to die to ourselves and live for others. And that's, like, that's the beginning of how we start finding what God has made for us to be. Um, 
And so we don't relate to God. We don't relate to God as if he was just like this genie. You guys remember from the, the movie Aladdin. Like we just like imagine like God as this, this genie who just gives us what we want if we obey and we just kind of like had that kind of debt kind of view. Like we just like rub him and it's like maybe if we just obey these Ten Commandments, God will give us what we want. You know, like God is supreme cosmic power. Itty bitty living space. You know, like genie and lamp. Anyways. <laughs> um, you know, he's like, he lives in that tiny lamp. And <laughs> um, but no, but Christians have a very different understanding of who God is. And God is beginning that whole, this whole Ten Commandments saying this because he's saying that he's calling us into this relationship of mutual love and sacrifice and self-giving. And God is going all the way out of his way to save us and do all these things for us. And he's just calling us to participate in that. And that, it means like complete sacrifice. It means that we have to die to ourselves. But it also, that, that, but that actually means life eternal. So even though it's painful and hard and really difficult coming to an end of our visions of happiness, it's going to mean something so much more than we could ever hope to achieve on our own in our small, small petty visions of life. Um, and that's what we see throughout the Gospels, throughout even Jesus' life and ministry, everyone is just getting caught up in all these small, petty visions of like, oh, are you going to bring the kingdom to Israel? And oh, I, oh I'm really hungry. Are you going to feed me? And are you going to f- fulfill my political demands and my religious demands? And everyone just has these small kingdoms that they want. And Jesus is like, he has compassion on everyone. And you just see him having compassion on everyone. Like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And they're just like so caught up with their small little mud pie. And Jesus is like, okay, you have that mud pie. Let's, let's look at something even ma- more amazing what I'm giving. Eternal life. A new heavens and new earth. And this eternal thing that I'm doing. Um, and so these, pers- these commands come to us from a personal God and from our redeeming God. Um, oh man, there's always so much to say. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, the time change. Um, these, these rules then God gives to us in that specific change of relationship with each other and with Him, and they aren't merely like guidelines. You know, like they're not just guidelines that we can just take or leave as we want. Um, but this is the redeemed relationship that God has given to us by grace. And it's the form and substance of how we live as grateful, loving people. That God gives us himself and our response is a path of obedience that, that looks like these Ten Commandments. And so the Gospel frees us for the first time to give ourselves to God and then to others um, so that everything and everyone around us becomes the means of serving God. And everything, as Paul says, is made holy by prayer and thanksgiving. Everything that we do in the Christian life as we follow his commandments is holy and sacred to God. And this is what it means to be human. 
And as we, as we follow these commandments, we, it makes all of our relationships more humane and more loving. And, and, and Jesus is saying that this is what actual true happiness and, and, and human flourishing looks like. It looks like dying to ourselves. It looks like caring for everyone around us. Um, and in reality, that's what makes us happy. Like how, I mean, I don't know about you, but like whenever you serve someone who's really in need, there's just like so much immense joy that you can have from helping others around you. And the reason why that's that's the case is because that's how we're made. That's what we were made to do. Um, All right. Let's see here. Um, And so God gives us his law to love God and love our neighbor as the means by which we show our love for him. Um, and I know as, 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 like, as modern American Christians, the, the, the idea of like the Ten Commandments and, and this kind of idea that we need to follow these things sounds like something that we can easily turn to into Pharisees over. And we can kind of like get really strict about and um, become really legalistic. And I think that is a constant temptation for religious people to constantly see the law and see the Ten Commandments as ends in themselves. As if those things are going to change our relationship to God and each other. But in reality, those are just the tools to serve others. Um, when we depersonalize God's law and when we take it out of its redemptive context and outside of its grace, that's when the law becomes really harmful and damaging and destructive. And that's what the Pharisees were condemned for. Uh, they thought that like, they could really get into heaven or bring God's kingdom to earth by focusing on the minutia of everything, everything like, oh, if we just, you know, obey the church order or if we just obey these, these rules down to the last detail, then God will be happy with us and everything will be great and we'll have glory right now. Um, but what, what, are they, what are they missing when you look at it like that? They're, they're not, no longer seeing it as, okay, how do I love God? And how do I love my neighbor? When you, when you focus on the laws themselves rather than just seeing the people around us, then that's when we can use those things to become pharisaical and legalistic. But when grace and God's love drives it, then we can't help but love our neighbor through those things. Does that make sense? Does that help? Um, and, and I think that that's the constant tension is that, you know, like we're going to focus on these things and easily fall into legalism. Well, if, if grace and God's love is what's driving our hearts, we're never going to use those good things badly. Um, and, and we're not going to have that form of godliness which denies its power. And I th- that, that is the constant struggle even in the Reformed Church, in, in our churches, is to think that if we just get the confessions down 
or, or we obey the church order and we just have this checklist of things of how we deal with each other, then we'll be good. You know, we'll be really reformed and we'll be really theologically sound. But that actually misses everything. That misses all what God is doing and how he's using those things as the way that we serve others, the way that we serve God. Um, so that's, that's why, why God is, is in many ways giving us the Ten Commandments. They're not ends in themselves. They're not legalistic. Um, they're not harming our freedom and, our, and constraining us, but they're showing us what our gratitude and love should look like. So when we're loving our neighbor, when we're, when we're serving them, it's not in opposition to love. It's fulfilling it. It's, it's boiled down to, to being loving God and loving neighbor. Um, the Ten Commandments are given to us to show, to show us that everyone around us is sacred, that God and our relationship to God is sacred. And in order to help them flourish and be the best that they can be, this is, this is how we should act and how we should live. Any, you know, that was kind of like probably a different approach or way of thinking about it. So any, any thoughts or questions before we conclude? Okay, so just to kind of wrap up, like, so here's a couple, a couple things to keep in mind. So first, we have to realize that, that God's law expresses his character. God's law expresses who he is, his good character and his love. We've said that in many different ways, but just to summarize and boil it down, what we're, we're thinking about, God's law applies to us because it expresses his good character and his love. He's not giving it because it's arbitrary. He's not giving because he's mean. He's not giving it because it's just like trying to stop us from going out and having a good life. Um, but it reflects his own good character. And it's a, a recipe for our holiness and how we consecrate our relationships to God. Um, and then secondly, as we were saying that God's law fits us as human beings. Like it's, it's how we are made to be. It's kind of like the, the road on which we're supposed to drive. Um, it's the path on which we're supposed to live. And when we get off the road, the, the car just like gets demolished. Um, you know, we should have grace and God's love fueling the engine, but we have to be on the road of God's law. Um, it fits humans as the means by which we were very supposed to, to how we were supposed to live. And sin is specifically when we fail to do those things, it breaks down our relationships, it breaks down society and how we relate to each other. Um, and so grace, when God redeems us, he's not making us something other than human. He's actually redeeming what it means to be human. He's lifting us up out of our sin and death and decay and making us truly human for the first time and fulfilling what it means to be human. Um, any questions on that or thoughts? 
So like those are the two big things. Like when we think about the Ten Commandments, we have to really see like that they reflect God's good parental love for us. And he's showing us that at the end of the day, true religion and true worship of God, what, what does James say true religion is? You guys remember at the end of James 1? Right, right. So like at the end of the day, like that's what true religion and true worship of God is when we sacrifice ourselves. It's caring for those who are less fortunate than us. It's, it's, it's helping bring them up. It's caring for those in need and not something that we're going to beat people's head over with. It's not the thing that we're going to like try to force everyone around us to be moral like the Pharisees did. No, it's actually how do we look at those, especially those in most need, and, and make them flourish and make them into the sacred people that God has made them to be, the, the holy people that God has made them to be. Um, no longer looking out, you know, for me first, for number one, um, because that at the end of the day just makes us lonely and sad and despair when we're just left with ourselves and those small visions of happiness that we have. But when we let go of those things and start living in gratitude for what God has done to us and participating and witnessing to that in our lives, that's actually when we find our true happiness and joy that God has made us for. All right, so thanks for listening for this first week. So then we'll be going into the specific commandments after this. Um, Any thoughts before I end in prayer or questions? No? Well, let's close with a word of prayer then. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and the commandments that you do give to us which are truly loving and wise and holy and and good and that there's nothing bad in them. They're truly the way that we should walk and we should go. And what is bad is our own sinful flesh that takes those things and tries to harm others through them. But we praise you, Lord, that you have taken us out of darkness, out of the kingdom of sin and death and brought us into the kingdom of your Son and the light that we can follow in, in Jesus' footsteps and the good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And that's what this looks like, that your Ten Commandments. So we pray, Lord, as we open this study in the next two months that you would search our hearts out and show us how we have failed in these things, but then how we can repent and confess those things to you and live out of gratitude and thanksgiving uh, in the future. And it's in your son's name we ask. Amen.